I'm Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue-generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. Welcome to the Big Ask Podcast. We're laying down the tracks for episode two today, and we couldn't be more excited. My name is Nicole Matthews, and I like big asks, and I cannot lie. After 20 years in the event industry, the last 10 of those as an entrepreneur, and now as an author, speaker, and professor, I feel I'm at a professional and personal juncture where my experience and continued zest for learning have intersected. I thrive when I surround myself with brilliance, which can be found not only in individuals, but also in the spoken word an action or a belief. The vision of the Big Ask podcast is to invite entrepreneurs, community leaders, unsung heroes, and average Joes and Janes to sit at the table to share their brilliance. We will have conversations that inspire, challenge, and hopefully teach. In today's political climate, it feels like everyone is so polarized that we've forgotten to take the time to really to listen to what the other has to say. In my book, Permission, Stop Competing and Start Creating the Life You Want to Live, I talk a lot about how making big asks has changed the the trajectory of my life. I'm excited to use podcasting as the platform to share stories of others making their big ask. The motto of the Big Ask podcast is that real is easier than perfect. In this spirit, we will invite guests who are ready to be real and honest instead of being committed to perfection. Everyone has a backstory that has shaped them into their current version. We can all learn from these stories and the defining moments that propelled change. That's where the great nuggets can be found. I hope you enjoy episode two of the Big Ask podcast, and I'm delighted to introduce you to financial planner extraordinaire, Jonathan Rubin with Northwest Mutual. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Thank you for having us up into your office. This is very exciting. Of course. We're like where the big wigs are now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so um, you and I met a few months ago, and um, in full disclosure, you've now become my f- uh, financial planner, and... The first thing I think I said to you was, I just need somebody to pay attention to me because my first financial planner died. That's not funny, but he's gone. <laughs> and my second one just ignored me. So I was definitely looking for some attention. So I know that was probably a big a big ask that most clients don't um, start their first meeting off with. But, Usually um, not. But, but there you go. Yeah. I had to give you my uh, my background before, um, before we got started. And I have to say, you've definitely stepped up and have uh, taken good care of me. So I appreciate that. But um, let's just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and um, I, uh, you work with Northwest Mutuals, so we'll, um, we just want to understand that a little bit and then we definitely want to dive into more of your background and kind of business in general. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I, I'm a wealth management advisor. I've been with Northwestern Mutual my entire career. Um, I am an independent advisor, meaning that I can help my clients not only find solutions through Northwestern Mutual, but I also have access to every other insurance or investment contract in the marketplace. Uh, Ideally, my goal with each and every client is to sit down and help get a better understanding around what they're trying to accomplish personally, professionally, financially, and then put together a plan that really complements whatever objectives the client has. Um, I think what makes what I do a little unique, because there are many of me 
thing. Let's not mm-hmm. be naive. Uh, there are many of me around. Uh, I have been a big believer in my entire career that relationships uh, supersede knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's funny to hear you describe the way that we met, which was accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, although I would add, I think you added in your intro was you needed someone to kick your ass a little yes. bit. Yes. <laughs> and so um, what, what makes the relationship side of this business unique is there are all kinds of experts out there, as you know, Nicole, mm-hmm. that are experts in managing money or experts in insurance or experts in estate planning. Um, and that's great. And, and, and I'd love to consider myself somewhat of an expert in some of those categories. But really, at the end of the day, I think what makes what I do unique is the ability to not only initiate a firm relationship that's built on trust and, and mm-hmm. transparency, but more importantly than that, it's what do you do after the fact? And, and the reason I bring that up, and forgive me for going on a tangent, but the reason I bring that up is because I believe the biggest black eye in my industry is that, and I hear this all the time, is, you know, I I sat down with a a guy or a gal uh, six years ago and Mm -hmm. they gave me some advice or input and I implemented the advice and I haven't seen them since. Yeah. And um, if we're going to be very transparent, that is the biggest black eye in this industry Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm assuming that things like honesty and integrity are a given. Right. uh, Even though I think the past has shown that's not always Mm -hmm. the case, i.e. Bernie Madoff. Uh, But the reality is in, in today's day and age, people need to depend on someone to be there when they're not really wanting to face the reality, especially around money. And so uh, if I were to sum up my statement here, it's the most important thing I do, arguably, is to follow through on continuing to build the relationship. And as I oftentimes joke with my clients, it's, you know, my job is to pull you off the treadmill of life Mm -hmm. once or twice a year for an hour Mm -hmm. and force you to confront the thing that are not coming natural to you. Right. And if I can do that and I can live up to that expectation, then I think that's that's my job in a nutshell. Yeah, and I and I so appreciated that. I mean, to your point about you know me asking you, you know, please kick me in the ass as well, because you know, I think that when it isn't something that comes naturally to you, you know, it's um, it's not really something you always want to talk about, right? Or the realities of it. And unfortunately, you know, the, the earlier you start, the easier it is, right? And so now at, you know, in my mid forties, like, are you playing catch up, right? And so those are the difficult conversations that you and I have had, even though I've been raised by people who, you know, first and foremost, you know, in, in, in tattooed on me, you must have a 401k, you must have retirement, which, right. you know, luckily I, I understand that, but it hasn't been loved and nurtured the way that it, it should have been. And a lot of that has to do with the advisors that I've had. So I'm so grateful to have found you and, um, Thank for you. the little kick in the ass that you do give me. It's not always that hard, but, um, <laughs> it is. The feelings I, I know. Yeah, exactly. So, um, let's just divert for a second and tell us just something super fun about you that most people probably don't know when they first meet you or just a fun fact about you. A fun fact. So, uh, two come to mind. So I speak Spanish and, oh, muy bien. Uh, I know we're doing a podcast so no one gets to see me here, uh-huh. but uh, I think you can attest that I don't look like I speak Spanish, <laughs> right. uh, but I do. Uh, and the second fun fact is uh, I am a major surfer. Okay. I've been surfing my whole life. I was the captain of the surf team in high school. Okay. And for the listeners out there who aren't in Southern California, that might sound a little weird that I had a surf team in high school, but <laughs> uh, it certainly was, and I was the captain of it. And so... Um, yeah, I love getting in the water. My wife and I still live across the street from the beach, and okay. so I surf a lot. Okay. Is that how you start your day? Uh, if I'm lucky. That's if you're lucky. I can start okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not as much as I would prefer. But okay. Okay. Yeah. So what's been your career trajectory? How did you get here to Northwest Mutual? I mean, that's a big brand, obviously, in your industry. So yeah. how did you get here? <clears throat> um, so this... This will be impossible for me not to be long-winded here, but um, I I started in uh, when I was 18 years old. I, I became a personal trainer mm-hmm. at a fitness company, uh, a local company, 24-Hour Fitness. And uh, after about a year of training clients, which I was really, really emphatic about, um, I knew that I was more entrepreneurial minded and I wanted to get into leadership or management with that company. And so I quickly climbed the corporate ladder there. Uh, And in a matter of three or four years, I became a vice president with that company. Mm. I oversaw every location in San Diego County. I did all the training, the sales, the operations, the construction, everything. Um, And I loved doing that. 
but I was working for a company. Mm -hmm. I was working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got into my late 20s, I realized that if I wanted to branch off and work for myself, then I was going to need to bet on the only thing I felt like I could bet on, which was me. And so uh, I decided to uh, look at going into business for myself. I was always passionate around finances. Mm -hmm. And I found this really unique parallel, almost symbiotic in a way where you could see helping people with their health and fitness mm-hmm. was somewhat congruent to helping mm-hmm. people with their finances. Right. I know different muscle memory pieces, but the reality is both of them take discipline, both of them take direction, both yep. of them take accountability. And so uh, it became somewhat of this natural idea for me to say, what if I got into financial planning? Mm-hmm. And so I consulted with uh, my one of my to, to this day, probably the number one most important mentor to me who was mm. my younger brother. Okay. Uh, and my brother had graduated out of college, became a financial advisor, loved what he was doing. So naturally, he was the first resource I went to. Mm-hmm. Him and I spoke for a while, and he said, you should come work with me. And so um, I didn't want to take the easy route, though, just because my brother had done it. So I interviewed with four other investment firms, and um, I realized that if I wanted to go work in that industry, I wanted to work for the best rated financial institution Mm -hmm. out there, which at the time and still is Northwestern Mutual. And so I began my career there. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, when I read your bio and realized that you'd come from the um, fitness industry, I immediately was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because the going back to, you know, the little kick in the ass Mm -hmm. or the discipline or, you know, you have clients in fitness, we all know what we're supposed to do, right? It's kind of like, you know, in terms of wealth management, we all know that's important and we should be doing it. But if it was easy, everyone would do it. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so that's good. So I know you're super passionate about educating your clients. It's not just transactional work for you. Um, and I obviously really appreciated all of that education. And you started off by talking about relationships is learning how to cultivate relationships. Do you think that's a learned or is that a ingrained thing? Like, is that, is that nature or nurture? Do you think? It's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, not to sidestep the question, but I think there are things that you can read. I'm a big reader. I know you are too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there are some authors out there that have really spelled out what a good uh, foundation to relationship building should look like. And I think there's a lot of clout in that information. Mm -hmm. But arguably, I think the thing that supersedes that is your ability to go out and get some reps at the plate. In other words, Mm -hmm. how many people do you go out of your way to meet? How many many, uh, inadvertent discussions do you find yourself in or as, mm-hmm. as an example I give a lot of my uh, young and upcoming advisors as I talk to them about if you got onto an elevator with nine strangers by the time the elevator stops at the floor how many friends would you have mm-hmm. or would you have not said anything right. and uh, in my industry if I could be a, a, a little crass in my industry it's kind of funny because uh, if I don't want to talk to anyone I can just tell them that I sell insurance mm. if I want to talk to everyone I can just tell them I manage money Okay. and so Interesting. Uh, to go back to your question I'm a firm believer that you have to engage in discussions, in human discussions. Mm -hmm. I say that with this emphasis around today's technology and whatnot. Um, I'm scared, not to uh, tangent again, but I'm scared of what the next generation looks like because they have so few human interactions. I'm just a believer that it takes both. I think you can learn it through some text, but mm-hmm. I think more importantly, you need to learn it by getting out and being brave and make some big asks. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, to your point of next generation, I am, as you know, I do a lot of teaching and I had a student recently who is probably my great success story, right? This is a student who um, did miserably on one of his first midterms. And when I asked him what happened, he said it was because the new PlayStation game had come out (laughs) and he was just obsessed with that. And he literally didn't study. And there was a part of me that was just so entertained by his honesty and I just saw something in him. And so, um, he just graduated last month from uh, CSU Long Beach. And so that's kind of my, my, you know, one of my really highlights of teaching. But my, my point is, is that as he's been looking for work, um, he's a member of a fraternity. And so I, of course, said to him, you know, have you reached out to your fraternity brothers and all the alumni? And like, that just seems like an amazing network of people, no right? I mean, it no seems very natural to you and I, like there's a pot of gold, mm-hmm. right? Let's go right. cultivate that. Right. 
we already have something in common. These people are going to take my call because I'm a brother, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he literally was like, never even thought about that, right. you know? And so it is kind of interesting how, where you and I come from relationship first, why, where is that being, where's the disconnect of that? Why are we not teaching that in school? Or is that something that our parents taught it? Like, where's the disconnect? I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. I, th- I do think that a lot of what you're describing does come down to nature. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if I look at my parents, for example, my dad is a complete introvert. Mm-hmm. My mother is a complete extrovert. Okay. Um, I took on more of her qualities yeah. for sure. Um, but I also put myself into that position from a younger age. I mean, I was I was always a social butterfly in school and I wanted to be in a people job. Right. When I started working. Right. And I think if you if you're willing to embark on those things because you know they're those are your strengths, mm-hmm. you can't help but get better. Right. Yeah, definitely. So you're an entrepreneur, but you um, are also under the umbrella of Northwest Mutual. Correct. So how does that um, what is that relationship like? So, you know, how do you wear an entrepreneurial hat when you're under a big brand? You know, kind of just explain how that works in your industry. Yeah, it's very unique. Um, so the terminology is what's referred to as a statutory employee. Um, and what's really uh, almost funny in a way is if you if you go on the IRS website and you look up statutory employee, there are like three jobs that we would be familiar with that mm-hmm. fall under that category. Okay. And um, the funny part about it is it's, financial advisor, insurance salesperson, and then milkman. <laughs> so not sure where the, what, why or what makes it that way, but what a statutory employee means in plain English is a company is willing to provide you benefits so that by definition you are an employee of the company, but that you are paid as though you are an independent contractor. Oh, okay. So in other words, um, I have my benefits provided to me by Northwestern Mutual, but everything else in my business, everything pertaining to my business is self-funded. Uh, oh. All of my income, I have to pay my own taxes on. I don't have taxes withheld. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really, get, in my opinion, and granted I am biased, but it gives me the best of both worlds. Yes. Because if Definitely. You talk to business owners right. like yourself, Nicole, yeah. one of the biggest challenges is how do I provide benefits for myself? Right. And so um, I love that relationship side. Past that, um, Northwestern provides some supervision uh, capacities, but uh, that's really it. So mm-hmm. everything from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it is up to me. Okay. How, how I interact with my clients is my choosing. Okay. Uh, the business trip you and I were talking about coming up next yep. month, mm-hmm. I pay 100% of that. Right? Okay. So uh, it, it, excuse me, it enables me, in my opinion, it enables me to not be biased with my clients, which is the most important point. Mm-hmm. And just to expand on that for a minute, um, I shared this with, with you when we started working together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if Northwestern doesn't have the right solution for the client I'm sitting down with, mm-hmm. I'm not compelled in any way to work with them. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if I'm helping my clients invest money and Northwestern Mutual doesn't offer the right platform for whatever the reason, I'll just go to another company. Okay. And Northwestern yeah. doesn't, they're not, they don't uh, frown upon that. Okay. So, That's great. Yeah. That is the best of both worlds, isn't I it? I think yes. so. Do they need an event planning arm of their business? That would <laughs> be question. good, right? Exactly. Good exactly. Um, so what makes a great wealth manager? I know you're l- really looking to grow your team um, pretty substantially, right? Like 12 to 15 people, something like that. Big kind of big vision goal. Yep. So who, what do you look for? And do you have to be a numbers person? How much of this can be taught? How much of it, again, kind of nature, nurture conversation, but what, what, what do you look for when you sit down from uh, across the table from a, a potential applicant? So uh, just to make sure we're not muddying the waters here. So I really wear two hats. The first hat is I spend time working with my individual clients mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that accounts for approximately 70 or 80% of my day. The other 20 or 30% of the time, I am the managing director of a firm for Northwestern Mutual, mm-hmm. where my, my uh, objective is to grow feet on the street. In other words, to hire, train, and develop new financial advisors mm-hmm. that can help clients within the communities and where we serve. Okay. Um, so if we're talking about the, the latter half, of mm-hmm. how do I work with, how, what do I look for in an applicant? It's a really unique discussion because um, 
Five years ago, I would have had a different answer than I do today. Okay. I hate to be cliche, but I'm not looking for too many millennials. Mm. Not for all the same reasons that we see in the media. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of value uh, to millennials. The challenge with millennials in my industry is really twofold. Number one, um, they all want to be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But very few of them have had any realistic experience as to what that's like. Sure. So in other words, the, the most common theme in, in my discussions with millennials when, I'm, uh, when they're in an interview with me is they always say, well, I want unlimited income, John. I, I want to make my own schedule. I want to be able to have better work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, if you want those things truly, you will have to go into business for yourself at some point, right. whether it's here or go open a McDonald's, but right. you have to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the challenge is once you get into the weeds a little bit and talk about what kind of self-discipline it takes to be an entrepreneur, yes. very few of them are willing to put forth that effort. Right. And so uh, as much as I, I have nothing poor to say about millennials, it's just a different type of hire. Mm-hmm. To answer your question directly, who I'm looking for is really 28 to 45 years old, uh, some sales or marketing experience in the past, has experienced success at some level, whether it's income, sports or athletics, ran a business themselves, but they have to have they have to know what ex- what success feels like mm-hmm. in any extent. Um, I love it when they're more established. So if they're married with children, that's great. Um, I love when they're local, mm-hmm. although they don't need to be. That's a, not a prerequisite. And most importantly is I put every applicant I have through a personality profile that tells me a lot about the question you just asked me. Mm-hmm. Are they introverted or are they extroverted? Right. Right. Is relationship building second nature to mm-hmm. them or native tongue? And, and so I'm always looking for the person that I believe if they were sitting down in front of a potential client, do they have the believability and integrity to make a difference? Right. Right. That's it. Right. And, and, and Nicole, I have, I have interviewed m- multiple times. I've interviewed people that come to me and have impressive sales resumes and won numerous awards. And I look at them and I know they're in sales. I can tell they're in sales. <laughs> But they're better with transactional sales. And as we've now seems to be the theme of our talk a little bit, this business is is made for and should really, quite frankly, only be about relationship building. Um, Transactional sales is what gets our industry into trouble, which is Mm -hmm. why I stay steer clear away from it. Yeah. And I think like my industry in in event planning and personal concierge, I mean, at the end of the day, what you and I are selling is trust. Very much so. Right. So if if a client doesn't trust me to produce their event or to manage their busy life, you know, and get really personal in their life, then there's no there's no relationship. Right. So that trust factor has to come first through the relationship. Like those two things are always in play together. Right. You can't have one without without the other. Right. And so, um, you know, I I always I um, I celebrate that, that you are so committed to that, because I think that's why your business is successful and you're not going to stray from that. You know, the first and foremost, it's like create the relationships and then the business will come. Yeah. On a side note, just kind of interesting is, um, I have a website, it's pretty shoddy, but Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a website. Um, and I don't have a major footprint on there, Mm -hmm. but interestingly enough, every now and then, maybe once a month, a couple times a month, I'll get a internet lead. I'll get someone who goes onto my website and requests information. Right. And, uh, contrary to what a lot of salespeople I think believe, they look at that as, wow, that's gold. That is like, I got a, it's a warm lead, right? Really warm. Yeah. Um, I can safely say that not one of those has turned out to work with me Mm -hmm. as a client. Um, 99% of them just want a transaction. They're reaching out and they say, you know, John, what do you charge or what would it cost me to do this? And I always go immediately into, well, why don't we meet? Let's get to know each other. Let me understand what you're looking to accomplish first. And then I can be more than happy to help you. Um, And they never yield to anything. And it it is such a direct understanding as to why relationship building is important. Absolutely. And and the importance of the referral too, you know, very, very much so. So you mentioned before millennials, let's talk a little bit about Gen X and millennials and sort of where they are in their own heads with wealth management. Mm. Um, 
you know, is it is it even on their radar? Um, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Kind of what, what do you see coming down the pipe that could be disastrous or could be really amazing for those generations? Yeah, so I can probably set the stage here um, by first sharing that. So once a month, I do a, uh, a class talk at Cal State San Marcos, mm-hmm. where um, I have an excellent relationship with many of the professors on campus there. And for years, they've asked me once a month, I come and speak to their uh, to a class of seniors, usually in their business leave uh, section of the school. Mm-hmm. And um, the professor always asked me to do a, a talk on very elementary financial literacy. And so the, the classroom typically has 30, 40 kids in there. Mm-hmm. And I'll always ask, the, 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 the question I ask first when I'm in front of the class is I always say, raise your hand if at any point up to this point in your life, someone has sat down and talked to you about financial literacy. And I usually get one or two hands up. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes apparent very quickly mm-hmm. that our parents don't spend time having these discussions. In fact, to hear you say that mm-hmm. my parents raised me tattooing on my body right. the importance of saving, you're you're an anomaly right. in that respect, right. Nicole. And so uh, because most people don't really have any kind of br- upbringing where it's teaching them about it, it's really, that's my job. My yeah. job is to help bring that to the forefront. And so to your question, um, what do I see out there? I think it's very straightforward. I think um, I think millennials aren't really sure what to do, which is probably the answer that could go back hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it's our job. Mm-hmm. Our requirement is to teach them what to do. Um, I see Gen Xers as freaking out a little bit um, <laughs> for a variety of different reasons. I think a large part of that's the media. I think what you pick up and what mm-hmm. you see and what you fill your head with. Um, but there's an interesting, what makes our generation very interesting is our parents are all coming from the generation where pensions were still mm-hmm. at the forefront of a lot of people's professional occupation. Uh, people could save a million dollars into a 401k, and if that's what they had by the time they turned 65, they'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, Buying one house and living there for 40 years, that, right. those were our parents' yep. generation. Mm-hmm. And our, our generation, unfortunately, kind of got thrown, a lot of that got thrown out the door. Uh, it's very common now to own multiple properties through mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're never satisfied with one we're in. <laughs> right. um, pensions have gone the way of the buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, retirement is now 100% contingent on our own personal efforts opposed right. to leaning on a company. Um, and then, of course, the big elephant in the room, which is no one knows if Social Security is going to be around. Right. And so when you take all those things in, in a nutshell, it becomes somewhat of a, a scary proposition, which mm-hmm. is why a lot of our generation mm-hmm. Is freaking out it's right. because they don't have the uh, they don't have the direction or the guidance to know what to do, mm-hmm. and most people our age because we're stuck with that still the parental generation we had we're still somewhat naive in believing that our employer, mm-hmm. if we are loyal and faithful, mm-hmm. will somehow help us get to retirement. Right. And the reality is, is even though there's a portion of that's true by providing things like 401ks and benefits, the reality is, is uh, you can't put enough money into a 401k every year to retire the way that you want. Right. Not with inflation and taxes and all the other moving pieces. And so it becomes an interesting uh, paradigm shift where we need to start thinking a little bit above where our parents were thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't ever get as low as the millennial generation. Right. We need to be in that middle. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, the millennials, I think, are so um, categorized as sort of this gig generation, right? And so they want to be these freelancers, like you were talking about. They want to freelance. They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to do these gigs. They want to hop from gig Mm -hmm. to gig, right? Which is disastrous from your point of view, right? Because unless you're completely disciplined, it's very easy to say that thousand dollars I just got today, I'm going to spend today and not worry about, oh, that's a problem that's going to come to me 60 years from now. That's right. You know, and so 
how, what do we need to do as a society? Um, where's where's the disconnect? Like, how do we fill the gap? Yeah, good question. Um, so interesting statistic on this topic. Uh, the average person changes jobs seven times throughout their career, mm. which in my world means that seven 401ks that most people <laughs> yeah. usually leave behind somewhere, right? But, um, but in reality, what do we need to do? I think first and foremost, it starts like anything. It's education, right? right? I mean, I, I know you started out this podcast and we were kind of laughing about how we met, but the reality is what I hear the most when I meet with new potential clients mm-hmm. is very, there's a common theme there, right? It's either I do have these old 401ks at this old job. No one's ever advised me what to do with it. Or, right. oh, I've heard this is something I should put my money in. This is something I shouldn't. Uh, I'd love some direction there. Mm-hmm. And then more importantly than any of it is I really need someone to kick my ass <laughs> to make me stay disciplined to my goals. Right. But where, <clears throat> excuse me, where, where people I think need the most help is just education. Mm-hmm. Um, in today's day and age, <clears throat> excuse me, in today's day and age, um, we, we educate ourselves, right? The only ways that adults learn new things now is Google. Right. And, and so, um, if we spent, we as a generation spent as much time understanding the importance of financial planning mm-hmm. as we do about the Yelp review at the restaurant we want to go eat at, right. we, everyone would be better off, right. which is why I've taken that approach in my personal practice sure. of saying, you don't need to become an expert at what I do, but I need you to know enough to be dangerous. Right. And that's kind of the theme that I've always operated under because that is the number one, uh, that is the number one pitfall to people not being prepared mm-hmm. long term mm-hmm. is just lack of education. Yeah. And, and one last note on this is that the challenge with education I think is and this ties back to the internet is right everyone knows that everything on the internet's true. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And the in reality when we look at the internet whatever we're looking for validation for we find, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If I want to find why this restaurant's the greatest, I can find it. If I want to find why the restaurant sucks, I can find it. Yeah. Financial planning is not exempt to that. And so what then what happens in society is, uh, for example, I'll make a recommendation to a client. They'll say, okay, no problem, John. Let me think about it. They'll go home. They'll Google it. They'll find 50 different opposing opinions on right. the subject. Right. And then think that what I'm telling them is a, is a load of crap. Right. And in reality, there has to be this kind of happy median here where you need to understand the facts and get away from opinions. Mm-hmm. And as it pertains to my industry specifically, that is one of the biggest challenges financial advisors deal with is getting their clients to understand that there's fact and there's opinion. Mm. And when it comes to financial planning, right. you should always go with the fact. Right. So when you see commercials on television and it, and uh, I just was watching one last week where I saw a guy come on television, I forget which company, but he said, uh, and I quote, Uh, I would rather burn in hell than ever buy an annuity. Okay, well, who are you appealing to? Right. Because the reality is there are some people out there where annuities make a perfect amount of sense. Sure. And so I think we just have to be careful that in today's day and age, we have to yearn for more education Mm -hmm. and learning. Mm -hmm. We just got to be careful the source of it. So how does technology then play into your industry going forward? You know, if you've got the millennials who obviously are so tech savvy, right? And their encyclopedia is Google. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you've got different apps, you know, things like Venmo and, you know, this kind of, you know, electronic sort of, you know, we're sitting, we're having dinner together and I just Venmo you, you know, your $25 and then that's it. We're done. So are there, do you, are you seeing tools that are being created to help educate that like through apps and, you know, kind of get them in that mindset of saving while using what's available to them, their smartphone, you know, I mean, I've, I've done, I've, I've seen a little bit in terms of, you know, these different apps where you you know you round up kind of thing and then that money goes yep. into a savings or something of that nature so you know how do you start to compete with that sort of mindset as an industry as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, certainly the robo-advisor, as we refer to it, mm-hmm. um, is becoming more and more prevalent, right? I mean, as is everything. Everything's do-it-yourself now. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, there's a company, um, there's a company that, uh, a big company that most people are familiar with called Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Um, they are probably at the center, uh, if not the, the zenith, of low-cost, 
investment options for the average consumer, um, but it's robo advising. So you don't meet with an ind- a human being at Vanguard. Okay. You just log onto a website and you get mm-hmm. to invest. Okay. And there's someone at an 800 number who can answer a question and, and whatnot. But for all intents and purposes, it is a robo advisor platform. They ran a very interesting study in 2017 that showed that the average rate of return for using a inhuman advisor versus a platform mm-hmm. is actually 3% higher with the human being. Oh, okay. Which is very interesting primarily because it's completely counterintuitive to their platform. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what I loved about it is it was actual real information. They mm-hmm. were telling the truth that this is, look, there is some things that you will not get utilizing a robo advisor platform versus an, a human being. Right. The number one thing, Nicole, that you can never get by using an, a digital platform is the human interaction. Right. It's the, I hate to keep going back to it, it's the, who's going to kick your ass a couple right. of times a year? Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, my bank, my banking um, application on my phone isn't going to kick my ass. Right. It'll certainly help me keep my ducks in a row. Sure. But it's not going to create accountability for me. Right. And so do we compete against it? I guess in a certain sense we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the challenge and the the upside and the area of opportunity here, the area of opportunity is, is that if anything, all of these digital platforms are bringing the importance of financial planning mm-hmm. to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That's what I love. Mm-hmm. The challenge to it is people think very much like their 401k, whereas, well, if I use this, I'm good. Yeah, right. I don't need to do anything else. And that is far, so far from the truth. Right. And so uh, it it is interesting. And it's it's an interesting paradigm shift, again, for a lot of people, especially the millennial generation, where, you know, the rounding up and, and using an online platform is great. But unless you're getting education, mm-hmm. accountability, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna wind up eventually gravitating towards something. Right. Different. I mean, let that be the uh, the channel that you save to buy your new surfboard, 100%. not for your yeah. retirement. Yeah, I go to Hawaii. Yeah, I get it. exactly. Safe, but exactly, exactly. Um, so, what are you currently working on that excites you? <laughs> so, uh, one area of my practice that is particularly interesting right now uh, is really twofold. It's um, long. Long-term care planning, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. very taboo to talk about, but long-term care planning combined with tax reform. Um, You know, when we talk about the importance of education as it pertains to this industry, um, I couldn't find one person out of 100 right now that could explain to me what happened last year with the changes in Congress around Mm -hmm. tax reform. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge because it very, very, really, really, really did hit a lot of people. It impacted a lot of people. Uh, And so one area to keep it somewhat brief so I don't lose the listener here is uh, tax reform plays an important role in financial planning. Mm -hmm. seems like a given. Uh, But that's one area that I'm doing a lot of work in. But the other area and probably the area I'm a little bit more passionate about is long-term care planning for the older generation, Mm -hmm. for our parents' Mm -hmm. generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of of useless facts here, but the reason why I'm so passionate about it is personal experience, Mm -hmm. right? I've seen my own grandparents Mm -hmm. go through it. Um, I know that most people love to rely on 401ks, government benefits, things that we feel, myself included, where uh, I've paid into Medicare like you have, Nicole, yeah. like mm-hmm. most of your listeners. Been paying into Medicare and Social Security forever, as long as I've been an adult and working. Right. Um, there's already the chance Social Security is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. So that already stings. But then the the common misnomer out there that Medicare actually helps people when they get later in life and they're going to need some sort of long-term care assistance, it's a misnomer. That is not what it's there for. That's not what it does. You don't need to take my word as gospel. You can do your research yourself. But uh, most people are so concerned about getting to retirement and having enough money to live on. Mm -hmm. But what few people are willing to address is, well, what if I never, what if I have enough money to live on, but I don't have enough money to receive care. Right. Because the cost of care mm-hmm. versus the cost of retiring right. are two totally different parallels. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's an area of planning that I've been doing a lot more work in recently. Um, 
yeah, I've been trying to get in front of audiences maybe where that's, they're a little more receptive mm-hmm. to that, but uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big challenge and um, let's just face the facts. People with medicine and, and science and technology mm-hmm. are living longer. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't that doesn't sound so bad right. unless you don't have the money to live longer, right? Or you can't physically live right. longer, right? So yeah, those are probably the two areas. That's that's. I mean, like you, I've I watched a, a grandmother have to burn through her entire savings before she was eligible it's for crazy. care. It's counterintuitive. It's yep. like you're being taught to save your whole life, yep. And then oh, when you need that, now you have to. Now you have to get rid of it. Get rid of it. Yeah. Get rid of it all, so, so that you can get something can else. Yeah. yeah. No, that it is. It's it's crazy. Um, changing directions a little bit. So sure. let's talk a little bit about mentorship. Yeah. Who's been important to you, and and um, do you find yourself as a mentor now for other people? Uh, who's been a ment- uh, So uh, who's been most important to me? Uh, I mentioned earlier my brother's mm-hmm. been a big mentor to me. My younger brother. At um, I always emphasize that. Um, See, I'm the youngest. I always say it's my, she's older than me. Yeah. I'm the youngest. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, um, I, I've had a couple of, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of mentors that were incredibly important to me, mm-hmm. all centered around sports. Mm-hmm. I know it's cliche again, but um, I think back as I think back to my life and some of the most important lessons I learned about my business. Yeah came from when I was playing basketball or when I was playing football or mm-hmm. baseball. Um, I use a lot of my mentorship comes in the form of text. I read, I'm an avid reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, as you asked me when we met today, I have not really gotten into the podcast side. Yeah, That's probably yeah. because I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I do do, I still do a lot of reading. And so I find that anyone that does what I do better than me more efficiently than me, mm-hmm. uh, that's who I try to emulate. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's really who I've leaned on my throughout my professional career from a mentorship standpoint. Yeah. Um, my parents, uh, God bless them, but like my fa- both my both my parents were employees of a company, mm-hmm. so I couldn't go to anyone in my direct family right. for that kind of mentorship. Right. Um, how it parlays into me being a mentor now, uh, I believe, and I'll toot my own horn for a moment, <laughs> I believe that I have an interesting perspective because I've been on both sides of the aisle. Right. I've been an employee and I've been mm-hmm. an employer. Mm-hmm. And so from, a, from me being a mentor standpoint, uh, what I have found first and foremost is millennials need to be mentored differently mm-hmm. than everyone else for that matter. <laughs> right. Um, and and when I say that, I mean it's 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 this crystal clear where my mentees want quality time with me and mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if I'm going to do, if I'm going to reward a millennial, uh, I need to take them out somewhere and go be with them, right. and experience something neat with them. Right. Versus my my uh, advisors, let's say they're a little more established or closer in our age. Yeah. They're like, John just struck me a check. Right. Right. Like I don't care. Right. It's, I'd rather right. go home and be with my family right. and spend this money. Right. And so if it has taken mentorship as a whole has taken on a really unique, uh, a unique perspective because everyone more so than in the past, I think people have to be treated differently. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not talking about gender, man versus right, woman or right. ethnicity even. I'm just talking about age wise. Right. There's such a gap that it requires a different sort of mentoring. Right. I mean, their communication styles are different. Their very personalities much. are different. Their expectations oh, yeah. of an employer are very different. Oh, yeah. You know, it is. It's an interesting, very interesting time. Yeah. What is your process like during the day? I made a comment when I came into your office that there was no paper on your <laughs> desk. I was like, oh, you're one of these. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is your, what is your process? Are you a, do you like, do you keep everything electronic? Do you journal? Like what is your, how do you kind of manage your life? Do you promise not to laugh? Yes. You're lying. You're already laughing. <laughs> um, so if I just think back it, it, from 50,000 feet yeah. instead of getting really granular here. So, uh, I'm a, I wake up at four forty-five in the morning, Ugh. every morning. That's why I always get early emails from you. That's right. <sighs> um, I'm in, I'm at the gym by five 15. I'm out of the gym at six o'clock. Uh, I usually scarf down a breakfast on my way into work okay. and I'm always the first one in my office. Okay. Um, so I'm usually in my office by seven, six forty-five or seven, and um, I am old school in the respect that my day starts out with me a pen and a pad of paper, okay, I and love I it. journal. 
Yeah. And um, I write down all the crap that I'm thinking about at that time. Okay. Um, I usually spend a couple of minutes reflecting on the day prior, and then I put the rest of my time into thinking what's coming up. Uh-huh. Um, once I felt satisfied, I got to journal what I needed to do, yep. and I transitioned into the technology side. Okay. And so, yes, everything for me is electronic for the exception of the journal. Now. Yes, yes. Um, but everything from that point forward uh, takes me a little while adapting to the technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I can do my business from just about anywhere, Mm -hmm. but as you're well aware, Nicole, Mm -hmm. uh, a large portion, if not the majority of my day, consists of me really meeting my clients wherever I need to meet them, whether that's here in my office or my La Jolla office or my downtown office uh, or their office. I just need to meet with my clients. and I track that electronically. Mm-hmm. I track that. Um, the only way for me to understand the type of impact I'm having with clients mm-hmm. is to manage what my expectations are. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, certainly, again, without getting too involved here, uh, I know what I want to do every day. I know how many people I want to talk to every day. Right. I, I know how many referrals I'm looking to obtain yep. every day. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, for me, it's really management over those systems. Okay. Um, that is Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Oh. Um, Tuesdays, okay. uh, it's date night for my wife and I. Okay. Every Tuesday, and um, I will never miss it unless I want to sleep anywhere other than my own. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and so who plans? Do you take turns, or what's the process with that? So uh, we we are both very much creatures of comfort okay. and habit. So uh, we have been going to the same restaurant every single Tuesday <laughs> for five years. I kid oh you not. Um, and so uh, it doesn't take much planning, but I, I have my last client meeting on Tuesdays at two o'clock. Okay. And so at by three, three 30, uh, I'm off, I'm going home and okay. showering, getting ready for date night. And then Fridays I typically do not work past noon. Um, and then I don't, I don't work on the weekends. Nice. So that's really what my schedule looks like from 50,000 feet. That's impressive. I should probably get up earlier. Maybe that's the secret to success. Is 445 the secret to success? Because I'm hearing this more and more from entrepreneurs. The people who are super or successful seem to get up at the crack of dawn. Well, every book I've ever read has said that the most successful CEOs in the country are up and working before most people are even rising out of bed. Oh, right? And so I know. I'm a morning person, though. I know. I mean, my energy you, level you doesn't are. Curb. It doesn't curb. It's you crazy. are. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> so when's the last time you asked for help? When was your last big ask? Ooh. Um, when was my last big ask? So, you know, I am y- unique in the respect that I have to ask for help almost daily okay. to get what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to ask for help in very many remedial things. But I definitely, um, look, I don't do, and, and you're aware of this, but I don't do any marketing or advertising for mm-hmm. my practice. Mm-hmm. You know, my ugly mug isn't on a bus bench anywhere. <laughs> I don't twirl signs in front of stores, <laughs> right? And so uh, 100% of the people I meet is predicated on my clients feeling comfortable to make mm-hmm. an introduction for me. Mm-hmm. And so because I don't do any marketing or advertising, the only way that happens is I have to ask. Yeah. And, um, and it's silly enough, Nicole, where I joke that the phone that's sitting to my right doesn't even accept incoming calls. I mean, that's what I believe because Mm -hmm. people do not call financial advisors looking for help. Mm -hmm. It just does not happen. Uh, We have to proactively reach out, introduce ourselves, Mm -hmm. and almost try to insert ourselves in a way in the most PC way we can insert ourselves into their financial lives to try and help them out. With that said, uh, because there's no magical list of people looking to meet with me and my phone's not ringing off the hook and the internet people that uh, (laughs) apply on the internet are garbage. I have to, I have to ask my clients daily Mm -hmm. for help. Mm -hmm. You've been through this Mm -hmm. process with me, right? I feel like I get creative to a certain extent, but the reality is I hate doing that. I don't think that the big ask is human nature. Right. Um, I mean, you are certainly more of an expert on this than I am, but I don't believe that that's something that you just grow up understanding how to do it the right way. Um, It takes guts. You know, I I feel like the most... um, the thing that shines through the most with asking for referrals is 
interpersonal risk. Mm-hmm. That is at the end of the day for me what it comes down to. Right. What am I afraid of? Right. I'm right. afraid of the person saying no. Uh, I'm not willing to give you a referral. I'm not willing to introduce you. Right. Uh, and that interpersonal risk, I think, rules a lot of how people act on a daily yeah, basis. For sure. For and sure. So, um, to answer your question, my biggest ask recently was probably yesterday. Okay. Right? And it'll probably be today. And yeah. It'll probably be yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> right. Right. So, exactly. I mean, I exactly. Just have to do it. I think um, I was very impressed actually that first time you and I met or one of our meetings and then you asked about referrals, you know, you know, I had become a client and so you knew our relationship was moving forward. And, um, I, I think as a kind of a takeaway for listeners would be the fact that you had, um, tangible names or specifics on this is who I'm looking for. It wasn't just, Hey, if you liked this, you know, think about me for your friends or whatever, but it was like, you know, I see that you're connected on LinkedIn to, you know, Bill and Sue and Jack. And, and, and so I think from a, from a referral standpoint, it does start to put, you know, the the wheels start to turn quicker than just if someone happens to say, oh, I'm in the market for a new, you know, financial advisor, then that's an easy referral, of Mm -hmm. course, but, Mm -hmm. but being more proactive at it. Um, And I, I would say that I, I've paid attention to that every time you and I have met Mm -hmm. and, and tried to now think about my own business in that way too, being much more concrete in these are the specifics on who I'm looking for, not just anybody who you think might be a fit. You know, giving people something very targeted. I always say, and I wrote about this in my book, if I don't know that you need help, I don't know how to help you. Of course. Right. So when you send me give me a list and say these people, Mm -hmm. that's much easier for me. I can I can be very targeted in that or be reactive to that versus this imaginary person up in the air who I might run into at a Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, here's the quick skinny on that is in my industry in particular, um, when you go to a social barbecue with Mm -hmm. your friends or a picnic or a ball game, um, you're not talking about money. Right. People are not talking about how much they're investing or what mm-hmm. they're saving or what, what they're trying to accomplish long term with their financial goals. Right. It's just not on the radar of subject matter that people right. are accustomed to talking about with their friends. Right. So if I just asked you point blank, who do you know who needs my help? You're going to look at me like a deer in the headlights. Right. So what I've taken the liberty of doing is saying, because now I guess this in a way contradicts what I said a minute ago that I'm not very well versed in technology, but somewhere down the line, I'm sure I stole this idea from somebody mm-hmm. is so use social media to your advantage sure. by saying, listen, here are some people that look like the type mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that I would enjoy meeting. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about introducing me? Right. And even so, Nicole, when that goes well, the ratios for any person working in the referral culture mm-hmm. are still the same, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you could introduce me to 10 of your best friends right. that would pick up your phone call in a heartbeat right. and would accept your endorsement in a heartbeat. But when I call them, I'm still only going to get a hold of maybe three of them. Right. And right. it's just the, 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 the nature yeah, of the business. The nature of the so, business. Um, you know, I, 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 if I was to give any kind of advice here in finan- for financial planners out there, um, I would tell you that if you cannot come up with a creative way to have your clients feel comfortable introducing you to their friends and their family, mm-hmm. You may experience some intermittent success, right? But long term, you're either going to be working with a bunch of assholes, mm-hmm. a bunch of people you do not enjoy working with, right? Or you're going to be working with people that you don't have really solid personal relationships with. Mm-hmm. And I don't want either of those things, right. as you can imagine. Right. So, uh, oddly enough, when my clients refer me to other people, usually what I find is they're birds of a feather yeah. flock together. Yeah. So if right. I like Nicole, yeah. I'm pretty confident Nicole's going to refer me to other people I'm probably going to like. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, you can't take that for granted. I mean, that's so... That's so important in business, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, last question before I get into the rapid fire questions. Sure, sure. So um, you and I um, definitely bonded over sort of our, um, our, our willingness and uh, respect for giving back, mm-hmm. right? We, yes. we're, you and I are both giving back a yes. lot. Um, and we can say that, you know, humbly that we are... We're good at that. And I had recently heard um, somebody speak, and I, I need to track down who this person is, but you know, we were talking about, for a long time, everybody was in their gratitude journal, right? Mm-hmm. Write down the three things that you are grateful for, right. okay? So we've gone through that 
phase now. And this person who was speaking talked about, instead of talking about what you're grateful for, talk about ways that you've contributed, Hmm. right? So what are the three ways that you've contributed today versus what you're grateful for? Like grateful, there's no action sort of about being grateful, if you know what I mean, right? But but I can think about ways that I can be contributing. So I know for you, uh, the lemon Alex's lemonade stand. Is that, that's correct. Okay, so I know that's an important cause to mm-hmm. you, and um, so just highlight that um, for a second. And if there are any other um, organizations that are important to you as well. Yeah. So, um, so my wife and I have been on this on the same page on this for years now. I always like to say that um, to answer that question, I mm-hmm. can very distinctly tell you the three ways that I donate my time yeah. uh, or my resources. The first one is through Alex's lemonade stand. It's mm-hmm. a um, a cause that is aimed to help fund uh, solutions to finding a cure for childhood cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way I give back is I put on a big charity golf tournament once a year. Um, We just raised 44,000 bucks. Amazing, so Um, great. Yeah, it was was fantastic, fantastic. And so I'm always the chair of that committee who who runs it. Um, That's the first way, that's that's what I consider donating uh, my time, Mm -hmm. because that's one resource I do have. Mm -hmm. The second one is I always give give uh, no time and no money to prostate cancer awareness. And the way that I donate is I grow a very disgusting mustache once a year in November. <laughs> and uh, it's always a funny thing to me because I think some people look at that and say, well, you're not really donating anything there. Right. And I say, well, I'm donating my brand in a way. Yeah. Because every meeting I show up to with clients in November where I just have a mustache yeah. and I'm really teetering on looking right between a cop and a porn star, it becomes a <laughs> pretty interesting discussion with a client. I'm so, sched- scheduled right now my meeting, my next meeting in November. You'll see it. I, I wear a, a dirty mustache every November. And then the last one is I always give back through to the military mm-hmm. by Wounded Warriors. Yeah, and, love it. Um, and I will always give my money to that. So the way I, the way I view it is I give my time to Alex's Lemonade Stand. Mm-hmm. I give my facial hair to uh, <laughs> prostate cancer awareness, and then I give monetarily yeah. to another charity. And so, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm I'm really big on the philanthropy. I yeah. feel like if you're really if you're in any kind of entrepreneurial field, I think the best way to increase your own business mm-hmm. is give back. Absolutely, and not because we do it you or right. I for right. anything in return, right? But it's just because talk about getting out and being social and extroverted and meeting people, right? Um, if I had my druthers, I would only do business with people that gave back to the community. Right, right. And it's such a great way to just, you know, there's always a hard day when you're an entrepreneur, right? Uh, I mean, uh, you could always. have the greatest morning and the worst afternoon, That's right. you know? That's I right. mean, I always say that. It's the greatest love of my life and the thing I want to, you know, kill the most. Kill the most. Yeah. Um, but I think also, I mean, you and I share a passion for pediatric oncology, mm-hmm. Um my work through the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, yours through Alex's Lemonade, both amazing organizations, but it's very easy to just sort of be involved, but when you see what those families are going through, my worst day as an entrepreneur has never been That's equal exactly right. to what those families have gone through. Couldn't agree. You know, so it, it just puts everything into perspective too. No so no thank doubt. you for the good work that you're doing. Okay, you. so we always end every podcast with some rapid questions. These okay. are my favorite ones, right? So this season of this podcast, these are the questions we have. Got it. First thing comes to your mind. Okay. okay? So no, give. you don't have to get put a ton of thought into this. Just okay. first thing. Title of your lifetime movie. Gosh. <laughs> I wish uh, you all could have seen the face he just gave me. It was literally like deer in headlights. Yeah. Uh, um, title of my lifetime movie, I would say uh, versatility. Okay. I thought it would have something to do with a wave. No. Okay. All right. Listen, it's no. I'm not in a place of judgment. Yeah, I just. It felt like I was being judged there. I know. I know. I'm sorry. God. All right. If you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be? Oh God, I can think of thirty off the top of my head who I would not. <laughs> um, just in today's day and age. Um, um, oh gosh, what is his name? I cannot think of. Who's the guy that does? a ton of charity work with the kids in hospitals and I can't I'm spacing on his name skip, skip okay it. skip it alright back to it when do you feel happiest uh, at home okay if you were running for politics what would be your biggest campaign promise uh to do exactly what I said I was going to do. Okay. Ultimate dinner party. Which four guests do you in- invite and why? <laughs> Living or dead, real or fictional, doesn't matter. Boy, uh, the Dalai Lama. Okay. 
um, would be one, Rob Machado. Uh, <laughs> most people wouldn't know who that is, but uh, Rob Machado would be two. And uh, number three would be um, Rodney Dangerfield. Interesting. Why Rob Machado? Do you know who Rob Machado yeah. is? Yeah. Um, yeah. I grew up surfing okay. with Rob. Oh. He was on the surf team with me. We went okay. to the same high school. Okay. Um, I look at someone who has come back to his roots full circle. Um, he's also very much a philanthropist. Okay. Um, I just think he has done his profession in the most outstanding way. Great. He's not a pompous, arrogant mm-hmm. guy. He's mm-hmm. very down to earth and humble. Um, and he has tremendous amounts of success. And so I think combine the, the fact that he's uber successful, very humble, and he comes back and helps the community. Yeah. What's not to love right. about that? Right. Absolutely. Okay, good. He's invited for sure. <laughs> right this minute, you have to get a tattoo. What do you get and why? Oh, gosh. Uh, the right answer here is my wife's name. <laughs> no, that's the doom uh, of a relationship. No, I'm I telling you right now. Um, what, you know, it's funny. I do not have a tattoo. Right. Nor do uh, I. But I just think it's interesting what people would select. Yeah, so. I would probably select a wave. Okay. That makes is sense. where I'd probably put the ocean on yeah, my body. Perfect. Okay. Biggest pet peeve in business? Uh, people that don't have the guts to say no. Okay. Um, ooh, that's my phone. We'll edit that right on out. Um, When does your light shine the brightest? Uh, When someone around me is the happiest. Okay. What is your wish for the next generation? That uh, That they get practical application around human interaction. Excellent. Okay. Last one. What is your big ask, either personal or professional, right this minute, and how can we help you? Uh, biggest ask is uh, anyone that you feel could benefit from sitting down with a responsible financial advisor, introduce them to me. Awesome. John, thank you so much for saying yes when I asked you to be on the podcast. No problem. You are amazing. I always love spending time with you. Um, what's the best way for listeners to reach you? How do you want us to connect with you? Um, it go, they can go on to my really shoddy website. Uh-huh. Um they can uh, email me directly, jonathan.rubin at nm.com. Okay. Um, or they can look me up online and find me through okay. social media. Or they can catch a wave with you, right? It, What's your favorite surf preferable. spot? Pipes. Pipes. Okay. Pipes in Cardiff. Okay. All right. So that's another good place to uh, to look at him or find him. So thank you for listening to the Big Ass Podcast. I know you have a lot of choices when you listen to podcasts. So thank you for spending time with me and Jonathan today. Reviews and sharing our podcast is the best way you can help a podcast grow. If you like what you heard, especially since this is one of our first 10 podcasts I've recorded, please give us a quick rating or review. To stay connected with the Big Ask Podcast, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Big Ask Podcast. Until next time, I hope you'll find your voice and put your big ask out into the world so you can create the life you want to live. Have a good day, Jonathan. Thank you too, Nicole. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ask Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask. Big Ask.